love this church. I've been coming here since 1975. It was the first time that I ever came to First Baptist Church of Hammond for pastor school. I had uh, gone to Bob Jones University, and I said to Dr. Ed Nelson, who just went to heaven a few days ago, I said, I would like to pastor a soul-winning church, but I've never been a member of one. What should I do? He said, go to Hiles Pastor School. He said, pay your own way if you have to. Take vacation if you have to. And I did. I came in March of 1975, and uh, in May of that same year, I became pastor of First Baptist Church of Bridgeport. And I heard Brother Hiles say something I'd never heard before. He said, the first thing you need to do when you go home is to love your people. I didn't tell anybody I loved them except my mother, my, my wife. I didn't tell my mother I loved her. didn't tell my dad I loved him. didn't tell my friends I loved him. It wasn't done in that area. And it was awkward, but I did what the man said and put so many things into practice. And this church had such an impact on my life and thousands, thousands of people all around the world. I'm so happy to be here. Glad my wife can be with me. Uh, she gets very offended if I don't have her stand so that everybody can look at her. Uh, she is right back over here. Would you stand? They want to see how pretty you are. And this is my wife, Chrissy. We've been married 49 years this June. And uh, so she is the... Uh, yeah, clap for her. That's why she deserves it. She is my adult supervision, and so I'll, I'll behave better. Uh, next to her, Darlene LaPointe, a faithful member of our church, a real overcomer, single mom. Her, her daughter went off to Christian college and is now serving God at a church in Guam, a cancer survivor. And uh, we're glad Darlene's been helped by Ms. Goodall here at your church and been a blessing to her. Glad that she could be with us today. Preacher, would you come here for a second, please? There is, uh, in law enforcement and the military primarily, something called a challenge coin. It started in the Roman Empire. The general would give a coin to soldiers that had performed particularly nobly in battle. I don't know anybody that I would say is a better Christian than John Wilkerson. I don't know anybody who combines a strong stand and a sweet spirit any better. I don't know anybody who has the zeal for souls and is a careful, careful discipler as much as your pastor is. I don't know anybody who is honest with the Word of God and yet makes application of it to our lives. And every time I'm around them, I love Jesus more. He just draws people to love the Lord Jesus Christ. So I had a coin made up a while ago. On one side, it has my name, says, Preach the Word. The other side, there's a, a symbol, a logo of two hands shaking. Around the edge it says, friendship, fellowship, and faithfulness. I want your pastor to know and you to know that I deeply appreciate his friendship. I always esteem and enjoy his fellowship, and I really, really admire his faithfulness. Would you help me thank him for being such a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? God bless you, God. Thank you very much, sir. Amen. God bless you. Luke chapter 5, if you would please, Luke chapter 5, I'm told the preacher normally starts the invitation about noon, and so I am going to be obedient and do that. You know, this is the, one of the very few churches I have said what the preacher tells me when he starts the invitation or stops preaching that they didn't laugh. Most preachers end much more rapidly than they think they do, so I appreciate that. And preacher, you, you typically stand when you read the scripture here? No, what do you, I do whatever you do. All right, stand with me if you're able, and we'll look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It came to pass, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Aren't you glad you go to a church where you hear the word of God? He 
he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or a draft. And Simon answering said unto the master, We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Jesus said net. Peter said net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were near the ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being this wonderful church. I sure like to be a help to my friend Brother Wilkerson and the dear faithful people of this great I can no more help them than you help me. Jesus, you said, without you we can do nothing. I agree, and I thank you. Would you help me? Would you empower me by your spirit? Would you lead me to change anything that ought to be changed and add anything that you want added so that I would say just what pleases you? Would you draw your people yourself? And if there are those here today that do not know that they have a home in heaven, would you help them to know that before they walk out of this building? to know that you love them, you want to spend eternity with them, and that you made a way through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of their sins could be washed away. They'd never have to answer for any of the bad things they'd ever done, but they could have everlasting life. Help it to be so. We'll praise you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus He's in that northernmost region of Israel, the more rural part, and he's immensely popular. A great crowd has gathered around the Sea of Galilee to hear him preach. And as he stands there by that large body of water, it's about eight miles wide, about 13 miles long, the Bible says the people press upon him to hear the word of God. Their bodies close to him will absorb the sound of his voice. But he looks over and he sees a boat that is empty. The boat was empty. The fishermen were out of it, the Bible says, and were washing their nets. And the Bible says, I banged my knee up a little while ago. I'm not sure if I can do this, but I'm going to try. That Jesus entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. He just walked into somebody else's boat. Anybody on a boat? Come on, I'm not preaching against it. It's all right. I've owned boats. I've known the two happiest days of a boat owner. That was the day I bought my boat and the day I sold my boat. Imagine you take your boat down to the lake. You're by yourself. You back it down the ramp. You jump out of the truck and winch it off the trailer, tie it off on the dock, go park your truck and trailer, and you come back and somebody's sitting in your boat. What would you say? Don't swear now. I don't, don't do that. What would you say? Hi, how y'all doing? Now, I was born in Greenville, South Carolina, and graduated from high school and college there. I know that y'all is not singular or plural. Y'all is singular. All y'all is plural. And 
all y'all's is, is plural possessive. But I mean, the Lord Jesus goes and gets in Peter's boat and just sits down there acting like, like he owns the place. I guess he does. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord Jesus can never intrude. He can never ask too much. He can never be unreasonable with us. And then he makes a request. He says, Peter, would you thrust out a little bit from the land? Now there's a body of water between the Lord Jesus and the crowd. It amplifies his voice as a natural soundboard, and everybody hears what he preaches. He gets all done, and then he makes another request. He says, now, Simon, I want you to get all your nets together and launch out into the deep and get ready for a great, great catch of fish. Peter, it's like Peter says, Lord, you know the preaching business. You wanted to use my boat. I didn't ask you what for, how long you're going to have it, or what you're going to do with it. I just let you use my boat. But I know the fishing business. If there are any fish to be taken in this lake, we'd have got them last night. We do this for a living. But I'll humor you, Lord. I will let down one net. I was cleaning them up before you came and interrupted. And I don't want to get them all dirty again. And the Bible says when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish so that their net began to break. Peter was embarrassed. His lack of faith, his limited obedience, and he falls down at the knees of the Lord Jesus and he says, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And, and the Lord answers with words we find all through the Bible, words we really need in our society today. He says, Fear not. Everybody say that with me, would you please? Fear not. The Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear power and of love and of a sound mind. I loved your pastor's explanation that everything that happens is a part of God's providential plan. He doesn't make people do it. People do evil because they're evil, but he works it together for good. And then the Lord Jesus says, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And the occasion of Peter's limited obedience and lack of faith becomes the occasion of his call to the ministry. Now, I know your pastor well enough to know that he's really encouraged at what the Lord has done in these almost 10 years. coming up on 10 years, right, preacher? It'll be 10 years in about 8, eight 10 months, something like that. I hope you do something really big with Mark. I really do. hope you send him on the space station or <clears throat> buy him his own airplane, something big. But... I know him well enough to know that he believes that right now, First Baptist Hammond has all the missionaries it really needs to support. And is running as many buses as it ought to run, way more than anybody else in the country, right? And probably everybody who needs to be saved in this greater Chicagoland area has already been saved. And you probably got enough money that you won't be going like this. No, you know him. He always wants more missionaries. How many missionaries does the church support globally? 330. But he wants more. He wants more buses to run. He wants more ministries to be added. He wants more staff members to help do the work of God. Well, how are you going to do that? He, every time I'm here, he's taking an offering for somebody. Last time I was getting some Bibles somewhere. This time getting a lease from Ghana. How are you going to do that? The answer is in our text. 
the Lord Jesus makes two requests of Peter, and I believe he will make one of those requests of each of us here today. The first request is, would you thrust out a little from the land? You know, most of what God wants to do through the First Baptist Church of Hammond in the days ahead is going to be done by you doing a little more. Uh, give a little more, go a little more, disciple a little more, serve a little more, witness a little more, be a little more involved because of a whole bunch of people like this, do a little more each, it adds up to a big bunch. But some people, God is going to say, I want you to launch out into the deep. I preached this message years ago, not far from here in Hebron, Indiana. I said something I'd never said before, and I, I don't know that I've said it since except to tell this story. I said maybe somebody here ought to quit their job, sell their house, go off to Bible college and become a missionary. I got a letter a few years later from a man named Jason Frost. He reminded me of the sermon. He said, I quit the job. I sold the house. I went off to Bible college. I'm getting ready to be a missionary to Africa. And he guilted me into supporting him. So let's look at the story. There's some lessons I want you to learn. Lesson number one is this. The Lord Jesus does most of his work through ordinary people and their possessions. This is a great church. I imagine, I'm quite sure, by attendance, the largest independent Baptist church in the United States of America. Great church. And you've had great people that have done great things. You've had Russell Anderson, who's given some millions. He's given $30 million to the cause of Christ overall. Uh, you've had Jack DeCosta, who's given hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And you've had some phenomenal soul winners over the years. And you get the idea, those are the people God is really using to do his work. Did you know the Lord Jesus had rich followers? Nicodemus was rich. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. Uh, there were women that followed the Lord Jesus around. We don't talk about that much, but the Bible says among them was a lady named Chuzza, who was the wife of Herod's steward, or Joanna was the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and they ministered to him of their substance. Jesus could have had a rich man build him a dock, put a gazebo at the end, hang a soundboard there, and preach into the soundboard, but he didn't do that. He used the boat of an ordinary fisherman. Can I tell you, I appreciate the generous gifts of wealthy people and what they have meant to the cause of Christ, but I want you to know if you took away all those big gifts and you left the ordinary folks like us who get up every morning and go to work and give our offering and our missions and give our tithe and do our best on the bus routes and in the Sunday school classes and you took away those few rich people, the work of God would go on just fine. But you take away the ordinary folks like us and you leave that handful of rich people, and the work of God would dry up overnight. Don't you ever think your little increase in the offering doesn't matter? Your little part of the mission work to help to get the building, the lease in Ghana doesn't matter. Don't you ever think that the few doors you knock on are irrelevant, and the part, part that you play singing in the choir, teaching in a Sunday school class doesn't matter? Oh, no, no. God uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. The Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. Peter has worked all night. You ever work all night? I have. You come out in the morning just feel marvelous, don't you? 
I've been so tired after working all night, I felt like I was watching myself do stuff. Does that make sense to you? Out-of-the-body experience. Man, he wants Peter to help him. Who's worked with him? Uh, I know a lot of people, preacher, they're going to serve God later. After they get their MBA, after they get their apprenticeship done, get their journeyman's card, after they finish the addition on the house, after the kids get a little bit older, after the price of dress comes down. You know, God doesn't care what you say you would do with the time you don't have. Any more than he cares what you say you would do with the money that you don't have. He wants to know what you're going to do with the 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 60 minutes to the hour that he gives you now. He wants to know what you can do with the $5 in your pocket. And there are many times when the Lord Jesus asks us to serve, it doesn't fit in our schedule too well. We've got to get up early to run the bus, and, and we've worked hard all week. We've got to go out on Saturday. That's the only day we have off, and don't always have all of that. And the soul winning time makes us hustle home from work and grab a bite and jump into the car and get out to the meeting. But the Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. Number three. How many are there? I don't know. Less than 100. Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's illogical. By now, it is about noon. Anybody like to fish? Are there any fishermen here? Okay. <clears throat> noon is the very best time for fishing, isn't it? Right? No, it's not. Noontime, the sun is high, the water is warm, the fish run deep, the bugs they eat aren't on the water. You fish early in the morning. You fish later in the evening. You don't fish in the middle of the day. It's a dumb time to fish. Jesus said, Peter, get all your nets, put them in the water. Get ready for a great catch of fish. Doesn't make any sense at all. You'll think this way sometime, Lord, why would you want me to teach a Sunday school class? I, I, I barely got a GED. And I'm not sure how to spell that. There's people all over this church who have been to college. There's people who have been to Bible college. Why would you want me to teach? Lord, why would you want me to go out soul winning? I, I can't speak to strangers. Every time I try, my, my tang gets all tangled up, and I don't have to knock on the door. I hold my arm up. It's knocking already. Why would you want me to teach? Illogical. You want me? I do a good job. I'm giving generously. I'm a significant part of the ministry. You want me to quit all that and go to some foreign land and minister to people under a grass hut somewhere? Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's illogical. You see, the Lord likes to mix things up. He'll take the weak things of the earth to confound the things that are mighty and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh may glory in his presence. He said, don't worry if what God tells you to do doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to you. It's just going to make sense to him. I hadn't intended to say this. I haven't said it for a long time. I don't think when my wife and I left two years as a youth pastor in Mount Morris, Michigan, to go pastor a church with three churches interested in us. One was in Holland, Michigan. They had a beautiful tri-level parsonage about a mile and a half from Lake Michigan, surrounded by pine trees. Then tour back to church, Holland, Michigan. Another was in uh, in the Ossinique, Michigan, by Alpine. It was right across the street from 
Lake Huron. They had a nice new building, and they said, Preacher, if you come here, we'll get you an FHA loan, and you can own your own house. And then there was the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport by a Saginaw missionary. Nobody lived in the house they're going to put us in for seven years. There were cigarette burns in the carpet where transoms had spent the night. First time we looked at it, there was no bathtub. No big deal for me, but my wife likes to take a bath every two, three months. Somebody's ashes were in the basement. I don't know the protocol for discovering other people's ashes. We threw them out. The building had a handful of wood pews, oak pews on each side. The shellac had softened over the years. There was no air conditioning. Your clothes would stick to it when you sat down. We'd stand up to sing and go. That wasn't the worst part. The bottoms that separated from the backs, and when you sat down, they'd sag. If you're the last one up, they'd grab you. Our congregation was small but lively. A couple old buildings that had been motels when the Dixie Highway, where the church was located, was the main way to go up north before they built I-75. And, and I went into those buildings, and, and there's chunks of drywall falling off the wall. The floors were nasty. They had little space heaters surrounded by chicken wire to keep the kids from burning themselves. Worms crawled in every time it rained. The only church I know of used to have a worm ministry. Every Sunday morning, somebody would scrape the worms off the floor. I thought, dear God, how am I going to get anybody to come to this church? I wouldn't come here if I wasn't the pastor. God didn't send me to Holland, Michigan. He didn't send me to Ventura, Michigan. You know what drew me to Saginaw, Michigan? Salary was crummy. The, the church building wasn't very nice. The town was filled with violence. Saginaw has been the most violent city in America. Eight years running. More crimes per person than any city in the United States of America. I told the bus workers, there they are, bus workers been shot at. Our bus has been shot. Gang fights on our property. I didn't tell them this. Uh, from 2008 to 2020, uh, right before the pandemic, our secretaries kept a careful list. 481 of our bus riders have been shot in drive-by shootings. 191 of them have been killed. God said, go to Saginaw. My dad, who's very optimistic and very positive, said, uh, son, you don't have to go there just because it's the worst place. I mean, if somebody offers you a good car and a tin can, it's not necessarily spiritual to take the tin can. People said, don't go to Saginaw. All the people there are Lutheran and Catholic. They said, nobody's ever built a good church, strong church in Saginaw. You're not going to be the first one to do it. It didn't make any sense, but I knew for sure it was the will of God. Jesus expects us to serve when it's illogical. Next number is this. The Lord Jesus generously rewards those who serve him. Peter lets Jesus use his boat for a few hours, and he gets the biggest catch of his entire life. So how do you know that? Because when they put the fish in the boats, they began to sink. If you're catching that many fish, you'd have bought a bigger boat. Used to be. People around the country, it may have been, maybe when you're a very young preacher, you might remember this little Peter, remember, and they give testimony. And the testimonies were like this. I could have been a professional football player, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a country singer, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a wealthy businessman, but I gave that up to serve God. I knew one guy said he could have been all three. A country singing, football playing businessman. And he gave that up to serve God. And we were supposed to go, wow, God really got lucky when you signed up, didn't he? 
I'm, uh, I can imagine, yeah, you, you could have had 300-pound men jumping up and down on your belly every Sunday afternoon, and you gave that up to serve God. You could have been singing in a bar to a bunch of drunks, and you gave that up to serve God. You could have stacked up a bunch of money in a bank every dime of which you'd have left behind when you died, and you gave that up to serve God. I want to tell you, I gave up nothing to serve God. God's been good to me. God's been better to me than the world ever would have been or the devil ever could have been. I gave him my old tattered garments. He gave me a robe pure and white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven, and that's why I'm happy tonight. It's a good deal to serve Jesus Christ. He generously rewards those who serve him. But here's the next one. If we limit our obedience, we limit our reward. Put all your nets in the water, people. Well, I'll put one net in there. Well, I wonder if they'd had all the nets in the water and they wouldn't have broke because they wouldn't have been putting all those fish in one net. And if they could have drug them behind the ships to shore, I wonder how many fish they'd have had then. You're probably a better Christian than me, but I have this tendency to negotiate with God. We, uh, I started in our church probably 15 years ago, an annual event called our Faith Building Offering. By faith, we were giving money to help improve our buildings, and we were building our faith by giving. And the first one we did, the Lord told me to give $10,000. I didn't have it, but I told everybody, give what you can up front, give the rest over the year, and so we committed to do that, and the Lord helped us. And the next year, he told me to give a little more, and the next year, a little more, and the next year, a little more. And finally, I said, Lord, this is ridiculous. If I keep doing this, I'll be giving away more money than I make. Only the government can do that. I'm already giving three times as much as anybody else given. You see, you need to keep the Lord informed about things like this because he might not tell you what to do. One Wednesday night, I was teaching a Bible study in our church, and I talked about trusting God, and the Spirit of God said to me, can you trust me? Uh, Lord, this is for them. Can you trust me? And in that moment, I did the hardest and the most important and the sweetest thing a child of God can ever do, I surrendered. You can negotiate with God. But if you limit your obedience, you will limit your reward. I heard about a wealthy man who had given enough money to build an entire church building, the building, the property, the furnishings, everything. Not long after the building was finished, he went through a terrible business reversal and lost everything. He got a job every day like most of us and was walking down the street with a friend of his in Lewis Story and the friend rather cynically looked at that bill and he said well I bet you now you wish you hadn't given all that money away the former rich man smiled he said oh no he said if I had kept that money I would have lost it when I lost everything else and he pointed to the church building and he said that's the only thing I saved uh, church may I remind you one day you're going to get to heaven and you'll find out the only thing you're able to save is what you gave we limit our obedience we limit our reward one more lesson I read verses 1 through 10 I did not read verse 11 I'm going to Quote it from memory. If it's wrong, then we got to change translations. Verse 11 says something like this. When they'd come to shore, they forsook all and followed him. All what? All those fish they just caught. They just catch another one. 
all those nets. Peter was so concerned about getting clean and not getting dirty again by putting them in the water. And Jesus said to the ships that they used to earn their livelihood. You see, when they got around the Lord Jesus, when they saw what it was like to be part of what he was doing, when they saw that they could be useful in his work and his ministry, then nothing else mattered. If you miss the whole rest of the sermon, do not miss this. Here's the most important lesson. It's not about the stuff. It's about the Savior. I served God when I drove a beat-up car that I had to carry jumper cables with because I never knew if it started or not. I served God when my clothes came mostly from Rescue Mission Barrel. No. When they got around to Jesus, they just didn't want to do anything with it. I uh, used to watch a program. If you're my age, you'll remember it was called A Family Affair. A man named Brian Keith played the part of Uncle Bill who had taken in his two nieces and a nephew, Jody and Buffy and Sissy. And a man named uh, Sebastian Cabot played Mr. French, who was kind of a male nanny, sort of a buffer. One day in one of those programs, Uncle Bill decided to take the kids on a fishing trip. So he got the tackle boxes and the fishing poles and the tent and the sleeping bags and the lantern, and he got the cook stove and got the, everything together, and he loaded it all up in the station wagon. That's what they used to call SUV. went on the trip and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. The boat leaked. The lines got tangled. The mosquitoes were terrible. The fish didn't bite. The motor calmed down. It rained the whole time. Uh, tent, the water poured into the tent and finally they just loaded everything in a soggy, sloppy mess and put it in the back of the station wagon and drove home. And Uncle Bill's disgusted. He said, I'm sorry, kids. I wanted you to have a good time. One of the kids said, Uncle Bill, that's okay. Just enjoyed being with you. The Lord Jesus chose 12 that he might teach them and that they might be with him. Did you know God is good to his servants and he rewards those who serve him? But I want you to understand the best part about serving Jesus is that you get to serve Jesus. You get to be with Jesus. You get to be involved in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ the stuff, it's about the Savior. There was another TV program on when I was a kid called Kojak. I never watched it. I don't know if it was good or bad. It was about a New York City detective. Telly Savalas played Kojak. He was known for two things. He always had a lollipop in his mouth and he had a very distinctively masculine haircut. <laughs> One day, Telly Savalas was flying home to his native Greece, across the seat from him, across the aisle in the first class section, and there was a man who leaned over and said, Mr. Savalas, I know you're busy. People bother you. He said, I wonder if I can talk to you. You're my favorite actor. If you're Greek, I'm Greek. Tell you what I said, no, man, I'm tired. I'm taking this trip. I I need a break. I don't want to talk to anybody. Well, he said, I understand. It's a very long flight to Greece, probably nine, ten hours from New York City to Athens. The man looked over some hours later and told me Savalas wasn't eating, he wasn't breathing, he wasn't working, he wasn't sleeping, he was just sitting there. He tried again. He said, Mr. Savalas, I know you said you didn't want to be with me, but you're my favorite actor. If you're Greek, I'm Greek. You brought so much smiling to our country. Could I talk to you for a few minutes? No! I said, I don't want anybody to bother me. Yes, sir, you did. The plane landed in Greece. As it 
taxied up to the gate. Billy Zavallos peered out the window and saw reporters and photographers and a band and a big crowd of people. And he began to curse. And he said, that agent of mine, I told him, I don't want anybody to know I was coming here. When the doors opened after the plane stopped, two Greek soldiers entered the aircraft holding their rifles. Everyone stays seated, please. There's no problem. Everybody stay seated as we escort the king of Greece off of the airplane. That man who had twice asked, could he speak to Billy Zavala, snubbed up his tie, straightened up his coat, walked out to the band waiting to play for him, and the photographers waiting to take his picture, the reporters waiting to write about his return, the crowd there to welcome him home. I heard that story, and I thought, I wonder how Billy Zavala felt about that. Twice. The king of Greece said, can I talk to you? And he was too busy to reply. I wonder how I will feel and you will feel at the judgment seat of Christ when we face the fact that not once, not twice, how many years, thousands of years. The Lord Jesus has said, can I use you? I know it's inconvenient, but can I use you? I know it doesn't make sense to you, but can I use you? But would you just thrust out a little bit? Launch out in 